except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if this is your very first Sunday here, welcome. And if it is your very first Sunday, you will not know that we are in the middle of a series, a long series, in Mark's gospel called The Story of Jesus. And one of the things, and I've said something about this periodically, but one of the things I really like about going through verse by verse is you can begin to see the connections with each text to the next text. And that's true this week as well, because last week, if you were here, it was about Jesus being rejected in the hometown, in Nazareth. And it's, in a way, it's sort of like Jesus saying, hey, guys, you want to experience what I experienced? Yeah, you get now, go get rejected elsewhere. Um, and so we're looking at that, but we're also looking at our story because what we want to talk about this morning is what does it mean to go on mission? This morning, uh, the world has a mission for your life. Like there are, there are so many different options and opportunities. Uh, you probably have been uh, asked to sign up. People have come to your door perhaps and have asked you to sign up for a certain mission with a certain organization. And, and it really matters, like uh, what mission you're on. And one of the questions that we want to frame this morning with is that if the world has a mission for us, what is God's mission? Sometimes there is an alignment here that we can link arms with people uh, to be a blessing to the city and beyond. But, but we want to ask the framing question, what is God's mission this morning? And so we're going to do that. But then after we talk about what is God's mission, we want to then talk about how do we actually go on that mission? What does that actually look like? And then lastly, what are the surprises we might find along the way as we go on mission here? So let's look at this first part here. And that is asking the question, what is God's mission? And, and uh, if you've, again, joined us here earlier in the series, you know that in chapter 3, and Jesus is actually first calling his disciples. The very first thing Mark says, he says to the disciples is, hey, guess what? You're going to do what I did uh, one day. You're going to actually proclaim uh, my good news, and then you're also going to heal a lot of people. And so this is sort of your job description as a disciple. And so get ready. And so they have been watching for three chapters now, for a period of time, they've been watching Jesus do it. Now, the passage here is not primarily about leadership, okay? But there is something to really take away from this that's really good leadership. And that is you show the person what you want to do first, right? And so for those of you who are in positions of leadership, you know this, that what you do is you, you say, look, I want you to watch what I do, right? And then I'm going to call you to then do what I do. And then I'm, this time I'm going to watch you do it. And so, so Jesus is preparing them to go out. Now, also, I don't think this is the primary reason why Jesus is sending them away, but I got to believe, honestly, Jesus is probably saying, I need a break from you guys. Like, you know, it'd be really, I know you're like, seriously, Scott, did you just say that? Yeah, I think Jesus probably was like, you guys, um, we could use some time apart from each other. Just for a few days, uh, please feel free to take a couple extra days, but I need a long nap here in Capernaum. And so he sends them all out. And we're going to talk about what does it look like as he sent them out here. But the first thing I want you to see there is that he's a good leader. He's sending them out. 
Now, in an ancient world, they, of course, they don't have Twitter where you can just send one little message out and millions of people get your message. And so the ancient world, the way that you sent out your message was through heralds or messengers. And so the king or the leader would have a certain message, a proclamation, and that message goes to the utter ends of the kingdom, to the other ends of their earth, so to speak. And so what Jesus is doing is saying, it's time. It's time, like, I have this message, there's urgency in my, uh, in my message here, and I want the, I want the world to know uh, who I am and what, what the kingdom of my Father, what does it look like? And so I'm sending you out here to make this proclamation. And what I want you to see here on the outset is that to understand why Jesus sent them out at this point is to understand something from the Old Testament. So back in the time of Abraham, Abraham is called by God. And if you know the story from Genesis chapter 12, also verses really through chapter 17 or so, is the story of Abraham being sent out. And in virtually in every chapter in that story, God says this to Abraham, Abraham, through you, you'll be a blessing to the nations. Like through your descendants, uh, the whole world will know who I am. Now, of course, that's the story of Abraham as the father of the nation of Israel. What was Israel supposed to do? I mean, the whole Old Testament is the story of, of God calling through the prophets, God calling the nation of Israel to go and tell people who I am. And what does Israel do? They keep it to themselves, right? And then they, they of course, do other things that, that don't reflect God's story. This is, this is where Israel has gone off the rails, And so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is returning Israel. And and note here, there are 12 disciples. Why does Jesus call 12 disciples? Why didn't he call 10 disciples or 11 or 13? Like in in Judaism, the number 12 has a high degree of spiritual symbolic importance. The 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples of Jesus are being sent out to be a blessing to the nations here. And so Jesus is sending out as a blessing to the nations, the Old Testament blessing here. And there are three things in particular I want you to see that comprise the message. What is, what is the mission of God here? Here's the first thing, is to make God known to the watching world. It is just simply just to, to make him known. Now, when a, when a new regime takes office, when a new president, administrator, uh, leader, king takes office, they send out ambassadors. And so the old ambassador is replaced by a new ambassador, which begs the question, why do that? Right, so Washington, D.C., uh, many years ago I was doing an internship up there near Embassy Row, some of those beautiful homes in all of America are on Embassy Row, right? And it's literally sovereign land of all these different nations. That's what, well, as soon as you enter their gate, you're entering into their sovereign territory. And periodically, based upon what's happening at home, like they'll send out a new ambassador. And that ambassador, why is a new ambassador picked? Because that new ambassador has a new message. That new ambassador is supposed to reflect who's in charge, the king. When Jesus is sending out the disciples, he's sending them out, not just to say, I have a message for you, but you are my face. You are my reflection of who I am out into the world. So the very first thing I want you to see is that that what Jesus is saying is like, I can be known. God can be known. And it's not just enough that I proclaim this message now with my authority. You're going to go out. And as you go out, as you proclaim myself, and by the way, it isn't just the words that you say, it's how you live your life. Notice that how the disciples are sent. They're sent out so that they might be dependent upon God. So there's a discipleship element to the discipleship here, right? There's, there's an element of saying, I want you to demonstrate the character of my kingdom. 
And so the disciples were intended not just to say certain words, but also to live their lives in such a way as to reflect the goodness of God. God can be known through his people. Oh, I'm going to come back to that. That's pretty important, actually, for us today, 2,000 years later. But that's the first thing is that God wants to be known. Here's the second thing. God is on a rescue mission. It's in verse 12 here. And so towards the very end of this short passage, after Jesus gives them the instructions, it says, So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. A couple things there. Number one, um, this is preaching. And I know that, that uh, there are a couple of preachers in the room and a few of us who do this. And, and it can be really easy to, to look at the, those of us who have gone to seminary who have become ordained, and even those who are not ordained, but our elders, our ruling elders here also preach sometimes to say, oh, that's what they do. But what, but what it means to be a disciple of Jesus is to preach. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. That, again, that's what you get. No, it, it's actually what we do together. Now, now we can, some of us are called primarily as preachers, right? But, the, but being a disciple of Jesus is saying, I have a message that I want other people to know about both in word and in deed. And that's the first part. The second part of that there was that word repent. Now, you hear that word, you probably think of someone standing on a street corner with a sign in their hand with a, with a very long beard, right? And they're saying repent or else, something like that. So let's take the, the word repent out of its caricature and ask the question, what, what does it actually mean? It means to do a complete reversal. So when my kids were younger, we vacationed one summer, actually, in uh, watercolor on the Florida Panhandle with my parents. And for some reason, I can't quite remember, I had to come back early. And so I rode back to Atlanta with my parents, and then Kirsten and the young kids, they were going to go to Central Florida to see her family. And, and so we get to the interstate. And so it's kind of our last moment together before my parents were going north. My wife's already laughing. She knows where I'm going with this. And so she's got to go east, due east on I-10. You know what I'm talking about? You go due east towards Jacksonville, and then you get to 75. If you know your southern interstates here, you get on 75, and that takes you to uh, central Florida. And so about an hour and a half later, I get this phone call from Kirsten. She says, I think I went in the wrong direction. And I'm seeing signs for Alabama. <laughs> True story. By the way, this is not the first time this has happened for her. Okay. Uh, and I was like, yep, you definitely have gone in the wrong direction. You've just added approximately three hours to your trip. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so she like, got there really late at night uh, to see her mom. She's dying laughing here because she's thinking about that right now. Um, that's what repentance means. It means to do a 180-degree turnaround, go in the opposite direction in which you're headed. You went in the wrong direction. Got to head in a different direction now. Jesus is saying, look, I'm on a rescue mission. Because, it, and see, and here's, we talk a lot about, and here at City Church about religion. We talk a lot about what is religion. And here, let me tell you, religion is typically saying there's some tweaks that we need to make. I, I, need, a, I need a new way of, of doing this. I need, to be, I need to be better about tithing. I need to, I need to go to church more often. Um, I need to be nicer to people. Who doesn't need that in our society, right? Nice, less meanness, less, less hatred, less vitriol. Awesome, Yes. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, oh, we need a few tweaks to the system here. He's saying, no, we need a complete redo here. We need a, there's a gap between me and you. It's called sin. And, and we need to close that. And so I'm on a rescue mission. This is the, by the way, this is the message of Exodus. 
This is God's people leaving sin and darkness, which was Egypt, and going and being formed into a new identity. So what the disciples are saying is, guys, like we need a complete reversal of, of how you're doing life. Even here in Judaism, how we're doing it. We, there's a new Israel that's being formed. God is, God is forming a new Israel. More on that here in just a second as well. And so part of the message is not just that God can be known, but man, there's this massive gap that needs to be overcome. And the only way it can be overcome is through repentance and, and identifying me as the Messiah, the Lord of your life, the Savior of sinners. But then there's a third element. It's in verse 13. And it's, I've come to heal the world. And it says this, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. One of the reasons why I love this is the word many that's in there twice. Think about it. Jesus has just been in hometown Nazareth. And do you remember last week? How successful was Jesus? Do you remember? Not at all. Like no one wanted what he had. It said he healed an occasional person here and there. That's basically what the text says. And can you imagine? The disciples are like, okay, it's our turn. And they crush it. That's that's crazy to think about. I'm not a fly fisherman. But we have some of you here in this congregation, you like to fly fish. Over the years, we've had people. And you know, to fly fish, it is a certain skill set. I mean, it's a, it's not, you don't just go to the local lake and, and put a worm on the end of the reel and just toss it out there. But fly fishing is completely different, right? It's, it's an art form. I see some of you nodding your head. You know what I'm talking about. It's an art form. And there's a certain way of casting, right? And that's just, and, and so every, every person I've met who's been fly fishing tells me the exact same thing. They remember the first catch. And it could be like a six-inch fish, but they, it's like a trophy that they want to put up on the wall because they caught a fish using fly fishing technique. It's exciting. And I think that's what the disciples are experiencing. Like this, they've never done this before. Like, and, and Jesus is saying, what, what I'm doing, the miracles you're seeing, guess what, guys? You're going to do the same thing. How exciting is that, right? And so I think there's some excitement here for the disciples as they go out. But what I want to focus on is not the excitement, really, uh, but it's what they did. And it's that they cast out many demons and they healed many who were sick. You see, this is the other part of God's vision. It's not just that he wants to save people from a broken place. He wants to heal the place as well. See, the, the message of God's kingdom has long been misunderstood in our modern world. I can certainly say the, the ethos that I grew up in completely missed this. We're like, man, we gotta, we gotta save people, keep them from hell, right? We gotta, we gotta, we gotta rescue them from this, this God-forsaken world. And but the message of the kingdom is that no, no, the message of the kingdom is is not just to save them, save their souls, right? To speak to the places of brokenness and sin, but to speak to their emotions, to their psychology, to their relationships, to the whole person. In a few weeks here, we're gonna have our annual vision dinner, but this one's special. This one's unique. Because we're, we're unveiling a whole new way of thinking about our core values and our vision and purpose and things like that. And I'll, I'll give you just one flavor of it really quick here. One of the words you can hear us talk a lot about is wholeheartedness. And the, the old idea of wholeheartedness is the same idea of integrity. We get the word integrity from uh, maybe in math, you, integers. Was an integer in math? Come on. Whole number, right? Whole number, right? Yeah. Some of you are like, uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, whole number is the right answer for that. Kids, eighth grade math, whole number. There you go. Um, it's this idea of wholeheartedness, integrity. Love your, love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The Shema, Deuteronomy 6. And so it's this vision here. It's a vision 
of saying that we want to see integration happen. And so we want to speak not just to our, our kind of our souls, quote unquote, but also to, to our, our, how we live our lives and, and to our relationships, to emotional health and so forth. Like we're going to talk more about that at the Vision Dinner. But, but what I want you to see here is that this is a kingdom vision, is saying that, that we need to, need to be part of both. It's not an either or. We need to be, be part of both here, both preaching the gospel uh, through our words, but also through our deeds. And we just heard from Anna up here. She was doing the Easter dresses, right? I was in here yesterday working on the sermon, and uh, the Catalanas were, were setting up here uh, for, for making the care packages for the homeless ministry, right, that some of you have been a part of. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you, Andrew. And, and uh, we, I was over there just this morning. I saw all the work that they did. The, and some of you were here with them. Some of you were here uh, creating those packages, right? And, and that's, that's part of the vision of saying, look, we want to be part of the healing of the nations. We want to be part of the, the healing and the blessing, the love and the mercy here of our city. Absolutely. And so what is the kingdom of God? What is the mission of God? That's what we mean by that here at the close of this first point. And that is it's personal. Like it, it speaks to our hearts, to the sin that we have and the gap between you know, for what Romans 3.23, for the wages of sin is death. And so there's this gap and Jesus is overcoming that gap. But also he wants to heal the whole person. And the last step of that is actually what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that the whole cosmos one day will be healed. Think about that for a second. The whole cosmos. I mean, not just, it says that, that all of creation is groaning, waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Waiting, waiting for God to, God to finish the proclamation to all the villages of the world. Waiting for that. And, and, and when that happens, the whole cosmos will be healed. We, we have no idea what, what the fullness of what that means, but... But, but it's going to be glorious, and, and that we're not disembodied spirits who get sent into some spiritual realm. But it says in the, at the end of Revelation, the new heavens and new earth. You take everything that's beautiful about this world, and you multiply by infinity, and then you can begin, just begin, to taste of what's coming. That's the picture here. And it begins with this urgent plea to go. Take nothing with you. Go. Right? So it comes, to the, it comes back to this question I asked in the introduction. Is, what is the mission that you're on? Right now. So the word submission, it means to come under mission. And so the question isn't, isn't should we be on a mission in our corporate landscapes, in our academic world, in our parenting, and so forth? Yes, like we all have specific missions. Like we have right there on our wall, right, as you come into the foyer, joining God as family on mission. David talked about it, as family on mission. And, and if you come to our newcomers class, you come to membership, we talk about how we specifically think about mission here locally at our church. But we, we submit the, those local missions to the greater mission, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go out, proclaim Him. Baptize the nations that they may make, become one of mine. Make disciples, that sort of thing. That's what, that's what the Great Commission is, is about. And so everything that we do here is a submission. And so when you go into your workplaces, when you go in, in, um, into your schools, uh, looking at some of the young people here, like, like what does it mean for you to be on mission? Right? You're, some of you are like, I'm in middle school. You talk about a mission, right? I can't wait to get done with that mission, right? I hear you. I remember those days as well, yes. But you're on mission. What does that look like to come under mission? And so I want you to see how important that is right now. Um, and so what is God's mission? There it is. But then how do we actually go? Now, I'm going I'm to give you two really scary words right now. Words that, that some of you are going to be frozen in your seats when I say that, right? Evangelism and becoming a missionary. 
say, oh my gosh, wait, 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 wait. Um, evangelism, isn't that for some of those weird people that stand on the street corners and things like that? Well, I want to I I take some of the fear and misunderstanding of evangelism out for you right now. Okay, here's the first thing. All of us are evangelists already. I've said this here a few times before. All of us are evangelists. So let me, let me tell you how evangelism works in that way. Whatever it is that you love, that's what you proclaim. Whatever it is that you love, your sports team, uh, certain restaurants. I remember a few months ago in the fall, I talked about uh, our favorite, new favorite authentic Thai restaurant, Tum Pak Pak, up on Buford Highway. Do you know how many of you have actually sent me pictures or otherwise have told me you've been to Tum Pak Pak since then? Evangelism works. I'm here to tell you, it works. Like, like literally, one of you sent me a picture this week with it. You're going like that in front of the sign, Tum Pak Pak. You're like, I was there, Scott. I want you to know I was there. You know, you loved it, that sort of thing. Like, we're all evangelists for things that we love. And Jesus says, do you love me? Hmm. Feed my sheep. Go and become fishers of men and women. Like, and, and so... So evangelism is very much part of, part of our character. It's, it's how God has designed us. The question is, are, are, we, are we so in love with Jesus uh, that we can't wait to tell others about him? Right? To, to fan the flame of our first love, that certainly is part of it. But I mentioned that second word, uh, missionary. And I know a lot of us in here, we hear that word, and we, we, we in some ways, naturally, think about foreign missions, right? We, we think about people like Hudson Taylor and David Livingston. These are names that are pretty popular in the, in the, in the more recent several centuries, at least. Uh, but it still happens, right? In fact, uh, we're, staff, we were talking this week about a story that came out in Outside Magazine about a young man named Jonathan Chow, who, in 2018... At the age of 26, he decided to go to an island called Sentinel Island. It's right off the coast of India. And, and it, it didn't end well for him. He was, he was killed by, by basically a Stone Age tribe that had never had outside contact. Because there's this idea from the scriptures, from the book of Revelation, it says every nation, every tribe, every tribe will have heard the word. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament to the prophet Isaiah and then Revelation. Uh, John uh, reinforces that. So we know... That it's biblical. We know that it's scriptural. And so, so we say, well, that's what a missionary does. A missionary, uh, missionaries go to the other ends of the earth, right? But what does that have to do with me here at City Church? Everything. Because the primary place of our mission is not, most of us, very few of us will be called overseas. Um, most of us will not be called out of our current culture, in fact. Most of us are called to go to the backyard barbecue in our neighborhood. Most of us are called, I know, wait for it again, kids, to the school. Most of us are, are, are called to our corporate headquarters. You're saying, I, I'm in my pajamas at home most of the week. I don't do that anymore, Scott. Okay, fine. It's, it's the, the water cooler on the screen, right? Or whatever it is for you. But, but most of us are called there, honestly. And the question for you is, how do I go on mission here into little five points, into into East Atlanta Village, into Midtown, into Virginia Highland, Morningside. Like, what does that look like to, to be on mission with Jesus for that? And, and I, as I say that, I, I know naturally there is a fear in a lot of our hearts because we, tip, we, we have a sense about how that's going to end, how that conversation is going to end. And so in our remaining time, what I want to do here is just take a few minutes, and I want to take some of the fear out of this calling here because we are called. Let's not forget that we are called. 
right? And so how do, how do we do that? How do we, how do we get past the fear, so to speak? Because there's a couple of things that what you see from, from what Jesus said that I think should help us here. One, we don't do it alone. Look at uh, verse 7. And he called the twelve and began to send them out uh, two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So notice Jesus doesn't say, right, go out one by one, right? Like, hey, Peter, I, I, I know I'm telling you to go back to the in-laws of Capernaum. I want you to go there. Hey, Nathaniel, I remember what you said about Nazareth. You weren't a big fan of it. You said, can any good come out of it? Well, I'm sending you there, buddy. No, he doesn't do that. Right? right? It'd be it'd be so much more quote unquote effective, like to send twelve out to twelve villages. Instead, he's only going to six, sending them out two by two. You see how that fun? See math. Here you go, math again. Whole numbers now, math. This is a sermon about math, right? Um, but look, why does he do that? Because two things: one, encouragement and accountability. Here's, here's, I, I just want to say this to you. If you're saying, man, I, it, I think about my, my my coworkers, I think about my neighbors, I think for some of you, it's your family members. Like that, it's scary, right? Like uh, it's already hard enough. I, I don't want to experience any more rejection. I'm telling you, there, there's encouragement. There's strength in numbers, right? And there's there, it, just saying, man, I don't want to do this alone. I was talking with one of my elders about uh, this past week about this this vision I've had for uh, really coming alongside uh, couples, married couples here in our city. There's just a lot of brokenness um, in our neighborhoods around understanding what is marriage and. And I really think that there's a, there's a way into kind of a side door into their lives. I really do believe that. And, and, um, and I was telling this one elder, I was like, man, I, I really want another couple to come with us to do this. Like we might have six couples, but then one of the couples, why? Because that couple, we would be praying together. We would be encouraging each other. We would be holding each other accountable. And that's this vision that Jesus has. That, hey, you don't do it have someone come with you. You know that in the workplace. Like if there's a hard conversation where you think it might be hard, often what, is it, what do they say? It's part of a corporate protocol sometimes or policy. And is that you go in not alone, but you go in with someone else, right? Accountability and other reasons for that. There's strength in numbers. And so I, I, part of the encouragement I hear in this message from Jesus is, hey, I'm, you're not going to have to do it alone. But here's the second thing in that, and that is to see our dependence. It's not about you and your power. It's about God. Why is that encouraging? Why should that take some of the fear away? The onus is not on you. It's on God. Right? That's what he says. You're going in my authority. Right? Like some of us have been in industries where there's a, there's a lot of pressure on us to, to deliver. Right? Have, have, have you ever, has anyone in here ever been part of a, like a straight commission job? A few of you? Like I, for two weeks, uh, one summer, uh, I was. I, I, don't, don't hold this against me, but I actually worked for a telemarketing firm. Uh, in college, this is like 1991 or 92. This is long before, you know, now the smartphones tell you there's a spam call coming in. Mine does at least. I have, by the way, I have this, um, I have this uh, customized message. I'm not kidding. I have this customized message that I hit when I see that call come in. It says, hey, I'm just about to sit down with Dr. Spam of the Spam Institute. Can I call you back? I love sending that out to people. But, but 30 years ago, you didn't have that option with me. And so this guy in our church, he had this telemarketing firm, and so I'm doing this where it's straight commission. I remember the pressure. Now, thanks be to God, I think, two weeks later, they had to close the firm down. By the way, I had to get another job, and the only job I could get was working at a shoe store, a women's shoe store, okay? I'm not kidding. 30 years ago, I could tell you everything you want to know about women's shoes. Uh, I was the only male employee there, by the way. It was very awkward. 
but that was my life for one summer. Uh, telemarketing and women's shoes, right? I, I live to tell another day. Um, but there's, but Jesus is saying, look, the pressure's off. The, the, the pressure's off. I, I just faithfulness to me, Jesus is saying, is just being willing to go. I, I just want you to be willing to say, Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. I'm here. That, that, that's it. And if I could take just say one more thing about evangelism, taking just a, the fear out just a little bit more, okay? Uh, and I learned this from Randy Pope. Randy Pope was the founding pastor of our mother church, Perimeter Church, and he retired a few years ago. But I remember something he said about evangelism that I've never forgotten. He says evangelism is a relationship, number one. Number two, it's, it's sort of like a dance, he said. He said that when, you, when, you're, when you're face-to-face with someone, so to speak, and, and you want to say, hey, can I... Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about my faith? You said you're taking a step towards them. He said, now they have a choice. They can, they can either take a step towards you, which is saying, yeah, I'd like to hear something. Or they can say, no way. Not understood. And he said, now when they take a step back, rather than taking another step forward, you take a step back. You honor their resistance, he said. You, you say, this is about a relationship. And so I'm not going to pressure you. If that's not what you're up for, that's fine. And I think it's so important for us to hear that. Like what, what honors Jesus saying, here I am, Simi. I'm willing to have this conversation. Hey, can I tell you about God? We went uh, prayer walking just a couple weeks ago and beautiful night, sunny evening. And so we went prayer walking and, and we're almost back at, at the church here after walking for an hour. And one of the guys, there's a guy that was um, getting in his car uh, right next to um, the sidewalk there. And one of our guys, he just felt prompted by the spirit. He, he's like, hey man, we're... we're we're walking the neighborhood, we're praying. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, this guy's just going to laugh at us, right? Here's this. Uh, turns out I didn't have as much faith as one of the guys in our party here. He goes, hey, anything I can pray for? That's all he said. He said, anything you can pray for? And the guy was sort of like shocked a little bit like that. You could tell he's never had this conversation in Virginia Highland before. Uh, I'm pretty sure most people have never had that conversation in Virginia Highland. But this guy did. And uh, he, he sort of stuttered. And he's, he's like, um, uh, yeah. Yeah, here's something you can pray for. And, and our guy said, yeah, we're going to pray. And, and, and as we kept walking, he, he was praying. And I was like, wow. <laughs> like, I, I was lacking faith as I was watching him take a step forward. It was really, it was a cool moment here. Now, there was no, like, road to Damascus experience or anything like that. But the point is saying that it was just faithfulness in the moment. He just felt like, hey, I am just, just want to do something here to bless this guy. You know, it was a beautiful moment. Beautiful moment for me as a pastor to see that as well. That's the vision here, friends. It, it's, in, it, it's just to see that the message is, is uh, that we go. Now, I'm, the last thing I want to say about this is I know what Paul says. Paul says some are called to be evangelists. Some are called to prayer. Some are called to administration, the gift of spreadsheets, as I like to call it. Like some are called to mercy. And so does that mean that, that, wait a minute, Paul is saying some are called evangelism. Well, I, but I don't, I'm not called. That, like, that's a gift, he says. Like, well, what I want to suggest is, is a degree of emphasis. It doesn't mean, like when he says, some are called to, to the gift of prayer. That doesn't mean, oh, well, I don't pray, right? No, but it means that certain people have just been given spiritual gifts, and often we see that because they lead these areas. And so I've known people over the years that lead evangelism ministries, and they are remarkable I mean, God has given them a special gift, prayer ministry. In fact, there are some of you in this room, that is your gift. I've seen it. 
right? And an administration, all these things. And so it's not a, should I do it? It's a degree of emphasis. And so we are, so I want you to hear that. We're all called to share our faith. But some are especially called with unique skill sets and gifts to lead those ministries and to take them further. Does that make sense? And so, and so I want us to see that it's a degree of emphasis. There's a participation. And, and not just in, in, in being sent out to speak, but also to serve. Right? It's not just that, we, that we, we go and be willing to speak at the barbecue, but also serve at the barbecue. That's verse 13, the healing. And so it's a holistic message that says we shouldn't have to choose. I know one's easier than the other here in the city. Serving's a lot easier than speaking. But, but the question is, as we work with our, our friends, uh, the homeless men and women that we work with, as we work with uh, people who are on the fringes, the poor and the powerless, as we work with those who are more uh, centered to power but still need mercy in other ways, like, are we willing? Are we willing to have that conversation? Can I tell you about God? Can I tell you about why we do what we do, why we're serving Barbara the hands and feet of Jesus? Can I tell you about Jesus and who he is? So it's, it's this beautiful picture, I think, from this passage here. But here's where I want you to, to end with me. And as what we might find along the way might surprise us. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 11. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, I told the staff on Monday, I said, I'm really curious about this image of dust. Where does that come from? And I found it. Okay. Oh, I'm such a nerd. When it comes to stuff like this, I found it here. The dust. What's that about? Well, okay, so, all right. When faithful Jewish men and women came back into the Holy Land, okay, they, they've been in Gentile areas. That's what that means. They've been in Gentile areas. Whenever they came in there, when they got to the border, they would symbolically take their sandals off and shake the dust. Why? Because that dust was unclean. They were with the Gentiles, with the pigs, <laughs> that sort of thing, right? And so they would shake the sandals to say, thanks be to God, I'm back home. I'm in among the clean people. Okay, you follow me on that so far? Okay, now, where are they? When Jesus says, shake the dust off if they don't receive you, where are they? They're in Israel. That is profound. Know this, the disciples, when Jesus says, I want you to shake the dust off anyone in all these Jewish villages that doesn't receive you. They would have said, what? Because until then, they had been taught by the rabbis, by their traditions, this is the Old Testament, y'all. Those that God favors, your race and your ethnicity. And Jesus says, no, new Israel looks different. Remember, I'm going to bless you. You might be a blessing to the nations. Disciples, I'm sending you out to be a blessing to the nations. And what's going to surprise you, disciples, Peter, James, and John, and Nathaniel, when you go back to Nazareth, right? Uh, what's going to surprise you is who's going to say yes and who's going to say no, right? Part of the beauty of the gospel is this. Who's in and who's out? You know, in a lot of societies and a lot of different ideologies, you're told who's in and who's out. You're, you're told, like, you're in, you're out. Like, you're based upon your race, ethnicity, your ideology, that sort of thing. We know all about that. We're quite aware of that in our own modern world. But what Jesus said is those who are, who are in or out, they get to choose and be part, whether they want to be in or out or not. 
Now, there, there is exclusive boundaries here. There are people who are going to say, I don't want what you have, God, or, or Jesus, whoever you think you are. I, I'm not, no thanks. All right? And Jesus says, honor that resistance. He's like, move on. Don't keep pressing in a place where people are not interested. He says, but well, you might be surprised by who might say yes. There are some of you today, I know this because I know your stories. There are some of you, you were not raised in a religious home. You're not raised in a religious tradition, yet here you are. Or, or you've been in another part of another community, and here, there you were, now you're here, and you're saying, man, like, like I didn't know anything of who Jesus was. I didn't have any training in that. And, and someone came into my life, or some of you was in college, where uh, you're, you're, you're just in a hard place, existential crisis, and, and it was in college or it was in high school, someplace, and it just clicked for you. There's just something about the message of mercy and grace, and it just clicked for you. Just like that. That's your story. And, and, and that, to that person who had the courage to share Jesus with you, maybe they're like, whoa, wow, fly fishing, it worked. You know, wow, <laughs> I'm going to make you fishers of men and women. Wow, it worked. But man, let me tell you, especially here in the South, and I know Atlanta, especially our part of Atlanta, it doesn't look a lot like the rest of the South. I get that. But for a lot of us, we've come from other parts of the South, okay? And you know this. You know there's lots of cultural Christianity, and there are lots of people who have been raised in those places and who become adults, and they say, I don't want anything to do with this, right? And there are reasons for that, right? They've seen images of Christianity that wasn't a reflection of Jesus. And they've said, if this is what I think it is, I don't want anything to do with it. But regardless of the reason why, we know that sometimes we can be surprised. We thought, man, they were raised in a Christian home, and I thought for sure. You know, they, they would name Jesus, they would claim him as an adult, and they've done the opposite. They've gone the opposite way here. Look, Jesus is saying, you, you might be surprised along the way. All I want you to do is be faithful. And it could be that you... Sharing Jesus with someone, it could be a generation from now they look back and they say, thanks be to God that you were sent to them here. And so what is it that I want to see here? I want to close here. This is the last thing. Uh, what can you do today to leave this place? I want you to be willing to pray a prayer as you leave this place today. Here's the prayer. God, grant me the courage. Just give me courage. And second, give me success. Ask for it. Don't just say, give me the courage. Ask for success. Ask and say, man, I want to see a changed life. I want to be part of that journey with them. And so ask for it. And it, it, yes, it's up to the Father. It's His power. It's His authority. Like, and, and what will happen? And, and, and who will say yes? And who will say yes? I, I believe that. I get that. Yes. But have the courage and ask Him for favor. Saying, Jesus, let me see. Let me see the power of your mission on display in a modern world in our city. So I want to pray for that. I want to pray that prayer for you right now. And, um, and so join me in that prayer right now. Father, um, would you grant us courage? Would you grant us courage to say, yes, I want to go on mission. And, and, and may, may our lives reflect the message that we proclaim. May there not be um, a lack of integrity, wholeness, wholeheartedness. May they see something in our story that says, I believe your God is real. I think there's at least a chance. I'm curious, at least. Man. And grant, grant success. Grant, grant the people that we talk with curiosity. To just to, to dance with us. To come a step closer in the dance. Just allow us to see that you are alive and well. Jesus, we have seen you in the 15 years of City Church. We have seen you. 
on display. We've seen uh, you call people from eternal death to eternal life. We have watched that take place. And so we know that you're alive. We know it's your power, is your kingdom. And so, and so we, I, we invite you, Holy Spirit, unleash your power for the city of Atlanta. And not just in the proclamation, Jesus, but also how we serve. Being part of a holistic message of the kingdom. That the kingdom is here for all people. Regardless of race, ethnicity, socioeconomic status, and so forth. It's for all people. That they might claim your name, that they might know you. For the healing of the nations, emotionally, psychologically, not just spiritually. So Jesus, may we be that church that is so alive that people say, I want to know who your God is. Can I come be part of this with you? And whether they darken the door of a church or not, but between the Sundays they would say, man, tell me more. Tell me more. Jesus, thank you that you are the living God. You are the Redeemer. It is in your name with your authority that we pray. Amen.